0: So this morning, we're we're looking at Matthew 4, 1 through 11. It is a story that you might be familiar with. Um, Jesus in the wilderness, uh, confronted by the tempter, the devil. Um, Yeah, I've taught on this story a lot. So this is new, which I like. Taking a little chance here, which will be fun. So anyway. Um Matthew four, one through eleven. You can follow along on the screen behind me if you've got it with you. You can do that. It'll be in front of you. Um before we read, let's pray. Oh God, we we come here. With a with a sense of with a sense of yearning, with a sense of longing, that we come here with as much humility as we can muster, and we ask that you would speak. We ask that you would surprise us. We ask that you would show up. We ask that you would give us what we need so that we can uh, more and more be changed and transformed into the kind of people who live and love and act like you, Jesus. Amen. So Jesus has just been baptized by by John the Baptist in the Jordan, came up out of the water, heavens were torn open, saw the Spirit descending like a dove, the voice was there, this is my Son whom I loved, my love with you, I am well pleased, Um, and then this happens. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was, he was hungry. Yeah, I bet. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, People don't, shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Imagine all that power. All of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give to you, he said. If you just bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God. Serve him only. Then the devil left him And angels came and attended to Him. This is a good story. Really, really good story. So last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. Did you know this? Did we know this? Last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. That means the season of Lent has begun. This is the first Sunday in the season of Lent. And as always, it's a good idea for us to remind ourselves what the season of Lent is all about. Uh, The word Lent comes from the old word Lenten, which means springtime. And so I've given you the metaphor before that this is the time of season where we do some spiritual spring cleaning, right? And look, no one knows how or why or when it happens, but at some point we get a little comfortable with our lives, with the way things are going. We get into a routine and we follow it. And we know that there are things inside of us that are a little bit off, that are a little bit messed up, that aren't quite right, but as long as nobody else knows about it, it's fine, right? Then we don't have to deal with it, and it can just sit in there and it's it's all it's all good. But the problem is we know about those things. and we know that that those things from time to time sort of surface. and we know that those things can and will and often do affect the lives of others often the lives of the ones we we love the most and the knowledge that we have undealt with stuff that affects other people it can it can affect our sense of self-worth our sense of well-being it can it can affect um, it can affect us in deep ways where we feel alienated sometimes we feel lonely like we're the only ones dealing with these things. Like we're broken, like somehow we're, we're lost. And somewhere along the line, we get to the point where, it's, where we think to ourselves, man, I got to do something about my life. Like there's some things I just, I just have to pay attention to and, and work through. Now for most of us, so I, I preached a couple of sermons on New Year's resolutions and realized that nobody did them. But if you did, they're now for sure in our rearview mirror. Like we're done, we're done with those things. Well, fortunately, the church calendar gives us Lent, which gives us another another time, another option, a sort of a second wind, another opportunity. Because it's a time of of self examination. Uh, it's a time for us to to take a look at our lives and sort of gain a. A little bit of a, a self-awareness about where we are and where we're headed. It's a time where we look at ourselves and recognize that, that we might not be living up to our best selves, and that's okay. That's okay. Welcome to the club. Isn't it nice that we all get to be a part of the same club? Like we're not always living up to our, our best selves. I want you to hear that right now. That's Okay. Uh, I also want you to hear this, we can change. Things can be different because Lent is a time for change. Lent is a time for, for transformation. It's a time for intentional renewal. It's a time where we allow the grace and forgiveness and the love of God to wash over us, work in us and through us, and we allow it to recreate us if we let it. So that's what this season is about. And in part, that's what this story is about. Now, the season of Lent always begins with the same story. It's a weird little story. I think it's a weird little story about Jesus spending 40 days and 40 nights out in the wilderness, all all by himself with no food, no water. Um, And at the end of that time, at the end of the 40 days, the, the tempter, the devil, comes to him and gives him three choices to make, gives him three options To consider. Now, this morning I have a few things to say about this little story, but we're gonna hang out at the beginning for a while now. Um, And I wanna ask you a question Do you have a favorite superhero? Like comic book superhero, not the literal comic books. If you're into that, uh, that is fantastic. Because I know there are all sorts of really great stories, but like I'm talking about the movies, because we've had a ton of them recently. Do you have any favorite superheroes from the movies? Anybody? anybody? Anyone? Do, I, do we have a Spider-Man? Spider-Man! I love Spider-Man. <laughs> right? He's like a teenager, and he can do special things. It gives me inspiration, right? What, anybody else? Oh my God. Captain America, right? Something about Captain America. You know, like the man out of his time, he's trying to figure out. It's such a good, especially, especially when he shows up in the first Avengers movie. Oh my goodness, that is so fantastic. Plus it's red, white, and blue. How do, you, how do we not, as red-blooded Americans, be like, yes, Captain America. Love him. Who else? Anybody? Batman. Batman. Can I ask you Why? Cause that dude is messed up. I'm just gonna say it. Yeah, I do too. Like, like there's a darkness there that I identify with. He's my number two. Okay. Anyone else? Who? Black Panther. Black Panther. Love Black Panther. Chadwick Boseman. Oh, that stinks. He's fantastic. That whole movement around that movie was amazing. Anyone else? Say that, Wonder Woman. She's amazing. I love Wonder Woman. That lasso of truth, come on, man. I forget what it's called. Anyway, um, one of my favorites is Scarlet Witch. (laughs) She's so strong and so tough. Superman's always been my favorite because Superman, like, sorry, you're not gonna defeat Superman. You're just not, it's game over, he's the winner. Um, So we can argue about that later. Why are superheroes so popular? And, and those stories so popular. I think it's because superheroes always win. Always win. No matter what. It might take a movie or two. It might take a trilogy for them to get to the point where they win. But no matter what, we love it because superheroes always win. The superhero will eventually always come out on top. And the evil villain will always be vanquished. Right? Now, I have something that I have, I have to admit to you. And maybe this is because I first encountered this story when I was a, I was a kid and I had the, the old Superman movies of the 70s and 80s in my mind. That's how old I am. It's fine. I don't care anymore. So then I come at this story and I sort of have to shake myself free from this mentality. But when I first read at this story, every single time I see Jesus as the superhero... And I see the tempter, the devil, as the supervillain. Of course Jesus is going to win. Why wouldn't he? He's the superhero. He's God in the flesh. He's kind of got a little bit of an advantage here, don't you think? Of course Jesus is going to win. Duh. Like, this is a foregone conclusion. Now, I think we have a problem when we frame the story like that. When we think, this is just going to be an easy victory for Jesus, who's God in the flesh. Because if we see Jesus as like the the superhero on his way to an easy victory, then we diminish or we leave no room for the humanity of Jesus. He might as well be an alien from Krypton. I mean, who cares? He's going to win. Right? And I know it feels good, I know it's reassuring to have Superhero Jesus with all the like miracles and and magic that seems to come along with it. I know that it really feels good to have Superhero Jesus, but that's not what this story is about. That's not what this season is about. This story and this season are about people walking through a wilderness world where it's never easy and it's almost never straightforward and it happens to be really really hard right so to read this story as like an easy victory for jesus is an exercise in missing the point right why do i say that because we need the jesus of the wilderness we need the jesus of the wilderness Think about this story. Think about all the things that Jesus must have experienced out there for 40 days and 40 nights. And think about its implication. Jesus, divinity, the one, the maker of heaven and earth, the one through whom all things were made, Jesus, divinity, knows anxiety. Anyone know anxiety? You don't think he experienced anxiety? <laughs> After 40 days alone in the wilderness, Jesus, divinity, the maker of heaven and earth, the one through whom all things were made, Jesus knows depression. Anyone know depression? Jesus, the maker of heaven and earth, the one through whom all things were made, Jesus, divinity, knows thirst, knows hunger, knows hurt, and pain, knows social isolation, knows emptiness, knows what it's like to argue with the shadows. You ever argue with the shadows at one o'clock in the morning when you can't fall asleep? Jesus, divinity, knows what it's like to be different, knows what it's like to suffer, knows what it's like to be betrayed, knows what it's like to bleed after 40 days with no food, no water. You don't think his lips were cracked and bleeding? We need to know the Jesus of the wilderness. We need to know that Jesus walked through a wilderness world where things like spirit, and wild animals, and and the evil one, and angels are all in there mixed up together, alone. How do we make it through our world that's just like that? How do we do it alone, but with someone who's been there? Yeah, we can make it. So I think we need the Jesus of the wilderness. We need His vulnerability, the kind of vulnerability that we experience nearly every day of our lives. That's the first thing about this story. Here's the second thing. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, which means Jesus didn't choose this. Jesus, it's not like Jesus booked a vacation up to the boundary waters for a spiritual retreat and just forgot some supplies, I don't know, like food and water. No, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. If you read Mark's account, which is very brief, much more brief than this one is, it's translated a little bit more harshly. It says, immediately, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Translated better, the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. Jesus didn't choose this. Perhaps he didn't want to go. Perhaps he even resisted. The Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Now... As many times as I've taught on this story, and I, I didn't count them, but it's got to be eight to ten different times between Matthew and Luke's account of this story, I've never dealt with this part of the story. At least not publicly. Because it's hard. It's difficult. And I don't know if I have the right answer or answers. But I'm old enough to just be okay with that now. Right. I will say this, there's something about this part in the story that, that brings me a little bit of comfort. It brings me comfort because it just, it just seems true. Jesus didn't choose the wilderness. Jesus didn't choose this. Most of the time, we don't choose the wilderness. We don't on a regular basis sign up for things or volunteer for things like pain, loss, suffering, danger. We don't choose the wilderness and yet sometimes the wilderness just happens. 20 or so years ago, Renee and I didn't choose the wilderness and social isolation that comes from wondering whether or not we'll ever be able to have children. We didn't choose that. It was excruciating. Four years ago, it's been four years, none of us chose to have a superbug sweep across the world, killing millions of people and shutting everything down for the better part of a year or more. Remember that? Like that was a worldwide worldwide wilderness and we had no idea where we were going. We had no idea what we were doing or what was going to come of it. And still, in some ways, we're still trying to figure that out. That was, oh my goodness. We don't choose the wilderness of a scary hospital stay. We don't choose the wilderness of a a life-threatening diagnosis. We don't choose the wilderness of Of losing a job. We don't choose the wilderness of a of a struggling marriage. We don't choose the wilderness of a of a struggling child. We don't choose the wilderness of of like really questioning our faith, or perhaps even losing our faith. We together didn't choose the wilderness and social isolation that comes from becoming an affirming church. Well, maybe we did maybe we did choose that, or maybe we didn't choose that maybe we were maybe we were led into that wilderness. It's not always as black and white as we'd like it to be like like most things. Jesus didn't choose this, and most of the time we Don't choose the wilderness either, and yet there it is. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This brings up all sorts of questions, doesn't it? So, does Jesus or does the divine, does God want bad things to happen to us? Does God want us to suffer? put this story within the context of the entire story of the scriptures. I don't think so. I don't think so. What I do think is that God is ready to shape and mold and teach and transform and redeem us even in the middle of our own wildernesses, even in the middle of the most toughest times in our life. Even the wilderness, and maybe most especially the wilderness, can be sacred is in reality saturated with the presence of the divine. And I don't think it's because God gets a kick out of human suffering. Not at all. I just think that maybe we live in a a chaotic, fragile, sometimes really messed up world and God has thankfully decided to be here with us. The Spirit led Him. We don't choose this. And yet... God that's the second thing here's the third thing after fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights he was hungry 40 days and 40 nights that feels like a long time sometimes our wilderness can last a long time sometimes we can be in the wilderness for a long time as Jesus spent those days in the wilderness, I want you to think about it, imagine it. I can't help but think that time slowed down, like it just moved really, really slowly. Maybe he totally and completely lost track of time. What day is it? Right? He had no distractions, no streaming shows to binge Uh, He had no opportunity to sort of numb himself to the reality of his own thoughts and his own feelings. And look, we live in a different world. We live in an impatient, quick-fix world with all sorts of different ways to distract ourselves, all sorts of different ways to to numb ourselves, when in reality, maybe what we really need is to sit with our thoughts and feel our feelings. We live in a different world where maybe, maybe our times in the wilderness Maybe sometimes they last a little bit longer than they need to because we have so many distractions, because we have so many different ways to numb ourselves. But we also live in a world where there are therapists. And maybe maybe getting the help we need can bring us out of the wilderness a little bit more quickly sometimes they last, don't they? Sometimes they last a long, long time. Here's a question for you. What do you think the wilderness did for Jesus? What do you think it did for him? What do you think it can do for you and me? I think it's interesting that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil right after his baptism like right after like that must have been the spiritual high of all spiritual highs right he goes down into the water he comes up out of the water it's dripping all over him it's he has this weird mystical experience where he sees the heavens open up and it feels like the spirit is descending on him like a dove and then there's this voice there's this voice you are my son My beloved, with whom I am well pleased. He comes up out of the water. Oh, that must have felt so good. He knew who He was. He he knew who He belonged to. He's ready to go, man. Let's go. And immediately, He goes into the desert. Well, the baptism and the coming up out of the water and the recognizing who He is and who He's supposed to be, that's the easy part. What happened in the wilderness right afterward? As time passed, think about it, and the isolation grew almost unbearable. Did it play tricks on his mind? Like when you're in the wilderness, do you have mind tricks, mind trips happen to you? Like did his confidence in in who he was and who he belonged to, did it waver? Did that ever happen to you? Maybe, I don't know, we're speculating here. Is it alright if I speculate? So I think the story invites us to speculate. Maybe. Maybe Jesus needed to experience the reality that God's love would still hold even in the wilderness. That His belovedness didn't depend on external circumstances or what was happening to him. That the Father's love was an always and no matter what kind of love. Maybe it took 40 days in the wilderness for him to finally come to that realization. At the end of the 40 days, when he's at his weakest... Apparently, the tempter comes. The tempter comes. Gave him some choices to make. And if these 40 days in the wilderness were a time of, of, of self-creation, a time of, of figuring out who he was and how he was going to do his thing in and around Galilee and Jerusalem, here is what here is what. Jesus chose. He chose deprivation over power. He chose vulnerability over rescue. He chose obscurity over honor and fame. He would not compromise who God was calling him to be. How did he do that? How did he come to the point where he could make those choices. Maybe at the end of it, he realized that the tempter's calculation had been dead wrong. The tempter thought that he would come at the end. When Jesus was at his weakest, he'd been there for the longest time. But Jesus, at the end of it, realized that he wasn't at his weakest. He was at his strongest. Maybe he realized, hey, after 40 days of all of that, I'm still here. Nothing, nothing you bring at me will defeat me because the love of God has held me fast for this long. It's not going to let me go. Now, maybe the tempter should have come right at the beginning, When Jesus came up out of the water, the Spirit led him into the desert. Jesus is feeling good about who he is, who he belongs to. Maybe that's, he's feeling really good. Maybe that's when the tempter should have come, but he miscalculated. And Jesus understood that after 40 days and 40 nights with no food, no water, with all that social isolation, with all the the weird thoughts going through his head, with all his questioning, without his doubting, with all his wondering, he was still there and the love of god had held fast so he's like nah man i'm good maybe that's what the wilderness can do for us too make us realize that the love of god is absolutely utterly unbreakable because a love that survives the wilderness is not weak a love that survives and sustains the wilderness is not fragile. It's a love that's stronger than anything else in the universe and probably the reality that holds it all together. So maybe you're in a wilderness right now. If you're not, you will be. We have a God who knows what it's like. We have a God who's been there. And as long as you're still here and you are still here, you can be sure that the love of God has sustained you so far and will forevermore. And that means that you are not weak, you have as much strength as you need. Let's pray.